The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. We're going to get into our study this morning. We're still in the book of Matthew. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, the black Bible is underneath every chair. You can open up to page 822. Um, by the way, those black Bibles, if you haven't heard this in, in a little while, you can take those home. And I mean it, if you, do not have, if you do not have a Bible at home or anything like that, or you want an ESV translation of the Bible, you can take a Bible home. Please do so. Don't feel weird about it or anything like that. Uh, but grab your phones, your tablets, whatever that is. Um, if you're online, get your, uh, get your Bibles open. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Um, today's passage focuses on something that, that I believe um, can be a, a, really, a real tough, kind of hard concept to, to really grasp and understand uh, as Christians. And I feel like as Christians um, and really as human beings, we kind of wrestle with this topic a lot, okay? And because it, it deals with um, control. It deals with our control of the future, of our plans, those sorts of, of things, um, our lives, and trusting in God through all of that. And so today we'll be talking about God's will, God's will or really God's plan um, for your life, for um, Jesus, when he's talking that we just, what we just heard, uh, his plan for his life. Um, now we're going to see in, in this interaction that we'll see between uh, Jesus and Peter again is going to teach us three big things that I think we really need to understand about God's will in order to really fully trust and believe in, in what he says. Okay, and so um, now the, last week we looked at an interaction between Jesus and, and his disciples, okay? And if you remember, Jesus asked these two questions. If you remember that to his disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And then who do you say that I am? And we sort of kind of left off with Peter, the disciple that actually spoke up and actually answered this, that second question and answered it correctly by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Like we left Peter on top of a mountain. Like we left Peter feeling really good about himself. He was, he was riding high. He really was. He just answered Jesus's question, that most important question, exactly how he was supposed to. He got 100% on the test. He got that A+. A plus, um, and, and he was blessed by Jesus. If you remember that, Jesus blessed him. Uh, so Peter's doing really well. He's riding high at this moment. He's probably never felt better until now. And this is like I said last week with Peter, and this is kind of, Peter might be one of the most um, he's kind of the, the most relatable disciple maybe to us because um, he has his ups and downs like any normal follower of Jesus. Well, here comes the downs. Um, and this is definitely at least one of the, the many, many downs that Peter has. But uh, thank you, Peyton, for reading scripture up here and reading um, our three verses that we're gonna be looking at this morning. Uh, so what I wanna do is I wanna go through these three verses. We're gonna talk about each, each one of them. We're gonna kind of dissect, dissect them, uh, explain them a little bit, see what they're saying for us. And then after all that, I wanna give us three main points um, as to like what this has to do with the will of God. 
okay? Three points with how we can better understand what God's will is and kind of God's plan um, for us in our lives by looking at these three verses, okay? So let's dive into it. We'll start with verse 21. So Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So we'll stop there. Um, this is sort of the revelation, okay? This is, this is the revelation. And like I mentioned last week, this is the first time Jesus is really talking about his death and, and resurrection, um, what, what is about to happen to him, what must happen to him, what is in the will of God to happen to him. And now this is where he's plainly and clearly saying it, but we see a lot of, there's been plenty of hints. There's been plenty of hints um, to what Jesus was gonna have to go through. But here Jesus finally actually tells his disciples um, plainly and clearly revealing his plan, God's will for him and his life to his disciples for the first time, that he would have to be killed. They would have to be killed so that he could raise from the dead three days later. So there are hints though in scripture, okay? So there's been plenty of, of and I'm gonna go through a few of them here, but there have been plenty of moments where the disciples probably should have caught on or could have caught on to what Jesus was saying, what was, what was going on. And I wanna go through some of them with you for, for just a second. Um, in John 2, I mean, you could turn to these if you want to, but I'll go through these pretty quick. John chapter two, starting in verse 18, it says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show for what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, if you know your Bible, Jesus was talking about himself. Like Jesus was talking about his, his body being the temple that that was going to be destroyed and then he was gonna raise from the dead three days later. In Matthew chapter nine, verse 15, um, now we'll, we'll go back. If you've been here through this Matthew series with us this summer and last summer, you'll probably remember some of these. Matthew chapter nine, it says in verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Now, if you remember this, this was a, a message when Pastor Chris was talking about fasting. So he's talking about fasting here, but if you haven't really like studied this or really heard that scripture before, you might be thinking about, okay, he's using words like bridegroom and it's like wedding guests, like that's kind of weird. But what he's really talking about is he kind of, he, he kind of says that when the, bride, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away and that's when they will fast. So he's talking about himself, which could be confusing, but it's, a, it's another hint that was thrown out there. Matthew chapter 12, so just a little bit ago, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man, the Messiah, there's that son of man from last week, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I mean, reading that now, we would probably say, well, how much clearer can you get if Jesus is saying these things? Like, come on, disciples. Um, then you have all, uh, pretty much all of Isaiah chapter 53. 
uh, that they would have known, they would have heard this. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. You have probably heard these if you've been in church for a minute, all right? Uh, Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men. Now, again, remember, this is before Jesus was even here. So this was a prophecy of what would happen. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. And on and on it goes. It, uh, verse, verse seven, it says, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So my point here is, is there were so many hints. There were so many hints given in scripture during that time as to what was going to happen to Jesus, okay? Um, so what, like, um, what's interesting here is as, as many hints as there were, like, I feel like, I feel like we can let some of those hints slide for the disciples, right? I feel like we can let them off the hook a little bit on this one. Um, and, Cause sure there are per- plenty of hints, but again, as we are reading this hindsight's 2020 and that we could sit here and we could say, well, duh, like, come on disciples, like, did you, didn't you not understand what was going to happen? There were so many hints. Like, I would have gotten this a long time ago. I would have gotten this early on because we could see those now. Um, but I want to give these guys a little bit of, of a pass here. But when Jesus finally says it, when he finally says what is going to happen to him right here in these verses from his own mouth, and you still don't believe it, that's on you disciples. Like that's, that's on them. But also I feel like we do this a lot with God as well. Like those, those moments when God is revealing something to us, like after all the hints, after like we couldn't take a hint and and couldn't figure it out, he's super clear with us and we still don't understand him, or we still don't believe him or trust him, even when he's being so super clear with us. Like, have you been there, church? Like, what has God plainly revealed to you, but you still don't believe him or or trust him with what he's revealing to you? Like, is there something going on, maybe even right now, that you feel like God is, is done with the hinting and he's now just being pretty clear with you, but you still don't believe what he's saying, right? Or you, or you still won't trust him that maybe he has a plan for you or that, that job that he wants you to go after or that, that big leap that he's calling you to, 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 to make and he's being super clear about it now but you're still making excuses as to why you don't trust him or why that plan maybe isn't for you that he has for you. Because maybe it just goes against what you had planned for yourself. Like maybe it just 
still doesn't line up with um, what you were expecting or, or what you thought would happen w- with yourself in like maybe the next five years of your life or something. And, and maybe you and God just aren't on the same page. And that's why you don't fully trust or believe what he's saying clearly to you, like the disciples here. Um, for me, like this was, this was, this was me before I, I stepped into ministry. Um, I ignored all the hints of what I was supposed to do with my life. I mean, hints that like I could even, and of course, again, we live our life. I can go back now and see that those hints were, were actually God speaking maybe through other people or something like that. But uh, now that I can, I can like go back, I can clearly realize that I was ignoring them of people in my own church that I grew up in, even when I was as young as like elementary school and I would stand up in front of the church to talk about one mission trip that we went on or middle school when I'd share about the mission trip we did in the summer and I'd have people of the church come up to me afterwards and go, you're gonna be preaching someday or you're gonna be, I I think you'll be a good youth pastor or something. And I ignored every single hint um, that I ever got about any of that. I went years with, with, with ignoring those hints, not, not trusting that that was actually God hinting at the plan that he had for me. And, um, and I didn't follow him because it wasn't what I had planned, right? Like it didn't fit with what I wanted to do with my life. It just didn't fit my expectations of what I thought God, God had planned for my life too. I thought he was gonna take me a different direction, And that's what we see here with these disciples in this moment. That's what we see, like even with those that were closest to Jesus, who were getting all the hints for for a long, long time, but still couldn't put it together. And even when Jesus himself plainly tells them what's going to happen, they didn't believe him. And not only did they not believe him, Peter, oh, Peter, Peter felt the need to tell Jesus pretty much he didn't know what he was talking about. Okay, let's, let's, re, let's continue and read verse 22. So this is after we finally hear that Jesus has been telling them about what he's going to go through. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter's reaction here is to rebuke Jesus, okay? Rebuke, I wanted to look it up, I had to look it up. I wanted to get the actual definition of what that meant, to express sharp disapproval or criticism. Okay, think about that for a second. Like Peter disapproving of what Jesus is saying is gonna happen to him, being critical of what Jesus is saying, I mean, Come on, Peter. He's, he's kind of saying, nah, not you. Like, you must have been mistaken. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Now, why would Peter say something like this? And, and here's the thing. I'll, I will defend Peter here for a second uh, because I believe probably any one of those disciples would have probably done the exact same thing, pulled Jesus aside, said the same thing to him. But why And I believe it all came down to expectations they had of the Messiah. You see, the Jewish people had their own view and expectation of the Messiah, 
right? They, they, they believed the Messiah was coming, right? But where they weren't on the same page was that they believed that what the Messiah came to do or really how he came to do it or really who he came to be. Like you see, they, they believed the Messiah came to be a conquering king, a king that would, would save the Jewish nation, one that would defeat Rome, that would take the throne, rule in his kingdom forever and ever. But Jesus, the Messiah, came to not be that conquering king that they expected, that they all thought he would be, but he came to be a suffering savior. And Peter's actions towards Jesus here show that the disciples' expectations of Jesus were way off. So of course, when Jesus says that, like instead of, well, destroying Rome and and saving his people from, from death and slavery in the Roman Empire, like he's come to be killed, like to be to be murdered. And it's gonna happen pretty soon. Like Jesus is kind of telling them that, like, be ready. But don't worry, like I'll I'll rise from the dead in, in three days later. That did not line up with the expectations that they had. And so Peter felt like he needed to sort of set Jesus straight, that Jesus must have been mistaken. He didn't know what he was saying. Like, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. They didn't believe that that is what he was coming here to do. They didn't believe that that was his plan. So he must have been mistaken. And get this, like, I don't want to like, I don't want to like spoil the rest of the gospel of Matthew as we'll be kind of keep going in this uh, the next few weeks. But what's even crazier is after this moment, okay, after this moment where Jesus finally expresses it and tells them plainly, clearly, hey, get ready. This is what's going to happen to me. After this, they still don't really believe him. If you know, if you know the gospels, you know this happens. Um, they doubted Jesus after this. Some quick things coming up in Matthew. Matthew 17, starting in verse 22, it says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. Like this just didn't sit well with them. They were kind of freaking out. They didn't trust him, so they were, they were distressed by this. Matthew 20, verse 18, Jesus, saying, Jesus was saying this, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. More in Matthew chapter 26. This is when Jesus um, was, was anointed with oil. He was anointed with oil, and all of his disciples were freaking out about that. Like, oh, why would they spoil all that oil when we could have sold it or, or whatever? Like, they were freaking out about that. Jesus tells him that she's just preparing my body for, for burial. Also, in Matthew 26, Jesus tells his disciples, how they will all fall away from him when they strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And even after his death and resurrection, after all this has actually taken place, we see in Luke 24, this is the angel at the tomb. This is the angel says, he is not here, 
but has risen. And this is, this is great. He says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again and again and again, over and over. Jesus was making clear his plans. And even all that, after all that happened, there was even the need to remind them saying, hey, remember, he told you this was going to happen. Um, I, my, my illustration for this is, have you ever heard of selective hearing? Husbands, ask your wives, because yeah, we know. Um, it's when you choose to hear what you want to hear, right? Uh, you only hear what you want to hear, not and not accepting uh, what you don't want to hear, right? It's kind of like this. I've got, a, I've got an image for you. Yep, that's one. Or this one. <laughs> Sorry again, I'm not looking at my wife. Sorry. Um, or this one. That's a good one. That's selective hearing, right? It's what Peter did. It's what his disciples did. And really, heck, it's, it's what most everyone who believed in the Messiah did. They chose to believe what they wanted to believe about the Messiah. Like they, they, they didn't want a suffering savior. No, they wanted a conquering king. They didn't want a savior that was coming to die and be killed. They wanted a savior that was coming to do that, to, to defeat and destroy their enemies. And we, like seriously, sometimes we only like to hear what we want to hear from God, right? Like we, we only believe what we want to believe about God. And when it comes to God's plan for us, we only like to hear like maybe the good things, right? We have, we have selective hearing. Like we can't accept what we don't want to hear from God. And like, like my example that I said about my own uh, life up until like this moment is like, I didn't wanna hear from people when I was younger that I was gonna be a pastor someday or I was gonna be up front here speaking. Like, I didn't wanna hear that I would be going into ministry someday. I didn't wanna hear that. That was not part of my plan. That's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to hear that. And like the Jewish people couldn't believe Jesus came as the Messiah to suffer and be killed and die, to be a sacrifice instead of this, this conquering, powerful, mighty king and what's crazy is in 1 Corinthians, it even talks about this, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Like to us, like if, if, you, if you call yourself a Christian, like we know and believe Christ as the suffering Savior who came to suffer and to die and be crucified. But to the Jews, like this was a stumbling block, it says, to think of the Messiah this way. Because they had expectations that, was, that were different of the Messiah, being a conquering king, definitely not a suffering Savior. And we too 
don't like to hear what he has to say sometimes, right? And we try to tell him, no, that's not true, God. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing because like that, that wasn't what I thought was, was gonna happen, what you were going to do. That's not what I, I thought you were going to say. That's, that's not the plan I thought you were going to give me. That's not what I was expecting. No, that's just not gonna happen. So are you hearing what you want to hear from Jesus? Are you picking and choosing what kind of Jesus you're, 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 you're following or listening to or believe in, like, is this, is this Jesus, is this Jesus not the Jesus you thought he would be to you? So you're ready to just tell him, well, that's not what I was expecting out of you, Jesus. Let's read chapter, or verse, verse 23. Verse 23, and this is after Peter has said that, but he turned, to, he turned to Peter, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not settling, not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here we see Jesus rebuking Peter right back, right? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Man, just put yourself in Peter's shoes at that moment of what you just said to Jesus. And then he's saying, calling you Satan, saying you're a hindrance to me. Now there's, there's debate on whether, um, whether Jesus was comparing Peter to Satan, right? And just like how Satan t- tempts us and he's a hind- how he's a hindrance to, to the will of God. Or if there's some debate on, or if, if Satan actually sort of kind of took hold of Peter at that moment and did this kind of through Peter and made him stand up to Jesus and say this, obviously Jesus would have known that, therefore calling him Satan. But really either way, Jesus sets Peter straight here and, and as well as us, okay? And he's saying, you are not hearing me, Peter. You're not hearing you are hearing what you want to hear. You aren't believing me because you aren't focused on me. You're focused on the things of this world, the things of man, on your own flesh and your own desires and your own expectations of me. You're not focused on the things of God. So like I said a little bit earlier, I wanna now, I wanna get into three applications for us, okay? three takeaways from these verses that I think that will really help us sort of hopefully understand the will of God a little bit more in our lives. And the number one thing I want to put up here, and I'll put this up on the screen, is that God's will is surprising. God's will can be surprising, right? The first thing we can learn from this passage is that God's will can be, and often, most times, surprises us. Like, like we, know, we know God is a good God, right? We know God blesses us in so many ways. God, bless, God blesses us even when we don't deserve it, right? But that doesn't mean that in his goodness that he will always match our expectations. And just like the disciples and, and the people around Jesus at that time, believing that he was the Messiah, like they were surprised whenever he talked about how he needed to go to the cross and suffer and die. 
Like they, they, they didn't believe him. It was a shock to them because it didn't match up with what they believed about him. God's will can be surprising even for our own lives, right? And maybe you know this by now, maybe you don't. Maybe this hits home for some more than others, but following Jesus can and often results in pain, in suffering, and even death. Like our expectations shouldn't be that following Jesus is going to be easy without pain, without suffering, without hardships, because it's going to happen. I mean, the Christian life looks, looks different than, than sometimes we think it should look, or, or really it looks different than maybe what we, we, what we hoped it would look like, right? And the, and the truth is, is that following Jesus often best looks like suffering and pain and, and hurt and rejection rather than prosperity and perfection and all these butterflies and rainbows and everything. It's not like that. Like God's will can be surprising if our expectations are way off. Suffering is a part of God's will. Suffering is a part of God's will. I mean, like, how do, I, how, how do we know this? Like Jesus came to suffer and die. And that, that was God's will. And, and we as followers of him should expect that too. Like, which means that, that his will for us and our lives could very well surprise us and not be what we expected. And again, this is all over scripture. This is all over scripture. This suffering is a part of God's will, right? Look at Job. I, I feel like when, when somebody says Job's name, every, like if you've read your Bible, you know automatically what happened to Job, all the suffering he went through. Like he, he suffered financial pain and suffering when he lost everything. He lost all his flocks and all his herds. He suffered physical suffering with sores all over his body, that pain and that hurt. And he suffered the death of his 10 kids, his whole family. And yet he praised God anyways through all of it. But that was God's will. I mean, look at, look at Paul's life. Another example, look at Paul's life. He was beaten, okay? He was, he was shipwrecked. He suffered in prison. He died and, and he praised God. He praised God anyways, God's will for us may come as a huge surprise to you. It may come with pain. It may come with suffering through a hard season of life. Like it may come through a way you never expected it. And it came as a surprise to the disciples here that Jesus said he must suffer and go to the cross and die. But that was the will of his father. It had to happen. Suffering must happen through Christ on the cross. Jesus was really, what, what he was saying back to Peter was, hey, you don't understand this because you are focused on the things of man, the things of this world instead of me, instead of the things of God, which would show you that suffering and pain and death, like I, I must suffer and die. It's the will of my father. So God's will is and could be very surprising. The second thing I think we can learn from this is that God's will is a struggle. God's will can be a struggle, 
right? Like Jesus gives us um, the example of the struggle in his response when he, his rebuke back to Peter. He's saying it's kind of like this tug of war, right? Between the things of man and the things of God, it seems to always be a struggle between being focused on God and focused on the world, right? Like how easy it is for us to walk in the Lord and walk with the Lord one day, but then just crash and burn the next day. I mean, example, Peter here and last week, his ups and downs, like this walk with the Lord is not easy. It was never promised to be easy. There's a struggle in us when it comes to God's will for us. Like I'm sure when I first said like, this is this, this sermon is gonna be about God's will that kind of makes us feel a certain way inside. Like some of us might be like, oh yeah, like God's will for like, I, I get it, I understand it. But I feel like sometimes most of us might be like, oh, God's plan, God's will for my life. I don't understand it. And so therefore I have like a, this negative weird view about it. Like we could be all on board with the plan he's calling us to one minute, but the next minute we could just be over here and then wanting to go this way instead. Like that, that looks easier that looks better, right? I, I, wanna, I wanna go in this direction. Like we, we fight with God over it. We get into the struggle over what God has planned versus what we have planned for ourselves. And like, maybe you're in that struggle right now. Like maybe, maybe you're hearing God clearly, hearing his plans and his will for your life. But this plan over here looks a little bit better. Right? Maybe, maybe you're fighting God on this plan and you're, and you're tugging hard this, this other way because um, over here, like this plan doesn't come with pain or, or suffering. It's, it's easier. Like this road is easier. I feel more comfortable over here. And God's saying like, I, I know this might be hard. This might be painful. You might suffer, but my will for you is better. And that's my third point is that God's will is superior. And yes, I needed another S. So superior, God's will is better. It's superior. Peter thought he knew better than Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord. Like you don't know what you're doing. I wanna read Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, eight through nine says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is, this is like just such a good encouragement, something that we need to hear all the time when we get into this tug of war, this battle with God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's will is superior. God's will for us is just better. It's better than anything we could ever come up with on our own or anything the world is gonna give us. His ways are higher than our ways. And hey, seriously, it is a good thing that Jesus didn't listen to Peter, right? Right, just like imagine if Jesus actually listened to Peter, we wouldn't have a savior, right? Sin and death would have won. We would be dead in our sin forever. The ways of God might be painful, 
They might come with suffering and heartache and yes, even death, but his ways are better. His will for us is superior. What Jesus had planned was better than anything we could have ever imagined. And yes, so yes, as I, I'm gonna wrap this up. Yes, like his will for your life might be surprising. It might be surprising. Right now, thinking of this, you might be shocked to hear what he has planned for you, what he's clearly speaking to you. And yes, his will is a big, big struggle sometimes, especially if we're fighting with the world and him and we're in this tug of war. It's a big struggle when it comes to listening to God's will and his plan for us and kind of following our own plan. But God's will is superior. It's better than the things of man and the things of this world. So let's focus on the things of the suffering Savior. And let's go forward here knowing that his will is better for us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. We, we, we thank you for uh, we, we, we thank you for the hardships. We thank you for the pain. We thank you for the suffering. Um, God, because we know that you have a plan for us in our lives, God, and that it's not gonna be easy. It's promised to us that it's not gonna be easy, but it's going to be so much better than what we had planned. And Jesus, thank you for giving us this example of, 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 how you, of how you dealt with Peter and um, God in, in telling them that, that this is the plan, this is what I have to do. I have to go to the cross and, and Jesus, we thank you for making it clear to them and that you make it clear to us now of what needed to be done. God, I just pray that if we're sitting here and we're, we're struggling with, um, with what you are calling us to do, with the plan you have for our lives, whatever that looks like, maybe it's, maybe it's what the next five years looks like, maybe it's whatever the next job looks like or next relationship looks like, whatever it is, God, I just pray that you make it clear that, that your will is better. And God, that as, as we are just having this tug of war, this struggle between your ways and the ways of this world, God, I pray that you just enlighten us to, to your will, God. Help us understand that, that your, your, your will is surprising to us and we may suffer and we may be in pain. And right now we might be in pain and we might be suffering right now through, through your plan for us. We might not understand it, God, but I just pray that we come to you with it we come to you with all of our pain and our hurt and our suffering and our, our just our misunderstanding of what's going on, God, and that we just realize that your will is better. And God, that you suffered when you went to the cross and that had to be done. So Jesus, I just, I just pray that, God, that we could just understand that, um, that your ways are better than our ways. Your plans are better than our plans, even though they're not easy. God, but we just thank you for going to the cross and suffering for us and dying for us and our sins. We thank you, Jesus, for this message. Just pray a blessing over this church as we go throughout our day and our week. It's in your name we pray these things, amen.